You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris and I'm joined by my co-host Kartik Krishnayar. We're going to dive right in uh, to talk about uh, soccer, of course. <laughs> what else will we talk about? But, but, but actually, but, but first look to uh, Kartik just to give um, listeners an update uh, on, your, on your dad. So um, what's the latest? We, we just want to make sure that... Uh, He's doing 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 well. We hope and and, and getting the treatment um, on his road to recovery, perhaps. Yeah, thanks, uh, Chris. Yeah, he's uh, started his chemo. He had three procedures, uh, surgical procedures, before he could start chemo, which is how uh, kind of dire his situation was, unfortunately. So three different procedures we had to go to the main University of Miami Hospital uh, in Miami to, to have done. But this past Thursday, uh, he started chemotherapy, uh, which which went very well. Uh, unfortunately, it was the wrong day because it was right in the middle of this epic flood uh, epic weather event down here but um fingers crossed he's got a second chemo session on thursday and then has a week off and then resumes chemo the following week so he's on a regimen now and i think the the key thing for us as a family psychologically was at least getting him to the stage where he could get treatment because initially he couldn't be treated without multiple procedures being done uh to 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 make it possible for him to get the treatment for his cancer so uh we're it's looking good at this point or looking upward not not good i shouldn't say that it's not good but it's uh it's looking better there's more optimism that's yeah that's great news that that it's uh moving in a in a in a kind of a good direction in terms of getting the the, the treatment he needs and then hopefully uh things will go well so Kartik, part of the reason i mentioned that too is also also to let listeners know in, uh, just in case the last they missed the last episode but i'm sure in terms of your viewing habits and and what you normally watch i mean definitely family's priority number one so in some ways that may have impacted kind of how much time you spend watching games i mean well we all have uh, our busy lives so one of the topics i want to talk about kartik is um is lower league football and 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 before we get into that um i'll ask you right now have have you had a chance to watch any of the cbs sports Galasso network or specifically uh the morning footy the the morning show that they have from uh seven to nine uh each morning Yes and no. I have not watched Morning Footy. I have watched various things on the channel, which, by the way, includes uh, some some matches, uh, which I, I'm not sure they advertise. I, I assumed it would, and you had reported it would, Chris, but I think the general public didn't realize they were going to show some uh, NWSL matches uh, simultaneously with Paramount Plus and, and, and Scottish League, etc., on the channel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They, they've had some uh, Brazilian games too on there uh, for free through the CBS Sports Golasa network. And it, it's a mixed bag, right? So uh, it's not going to be on, on a regular rotation. But if you are watching that channel now and again, you'll see uh, some games there, some live games for free, including some tactical cams of some of the Champions League matches. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I definitely applaud the effort that they're making. Um, in launching this uh, 24-7 soccer streaming channel, which is available for free, or you can get it through Paramount+. Plus. I think the idea is fantastic in what they're doing. 
um, which brings me around to talking about lower league football is, I mean, so I've watched the first week of uh, Morning Footy and I've watched uh, today's episode on Monday as we're recording this. So far, I don't think they've mentioned one single word about lower league soccer in the United States. However, the very first story that they ran on the very first day of Morning Footy was Wrexham FC. So I guess I guess part of the thing I'm struggling with here, Kartik, is how do you make lower league soccer in the United States, which which I know you're a huge champion of, how do you make that relevant when you've got a, a broadcaster that's not even even discussing it? It's is it's as if it doesn't even exist. Yeah, and, and it's especially telling because Nico Contor, uh, for those who don't know, his first job in football was with with me actually at the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, which is a lower which was a lower division team, a second division team in the United States at the time. Uh, he was our uh, our core commentator for two seasons uh, and uh, got his, got his feet wet with with our club. And in fact, uh, even as uh, he called MLS games for Univision uh, in after that, he would always have some sort of lower league angle. In fact, Nico would reach out to me at times and say, okay, uh, there's this guy playing for Real Salt Lake, this coach. Uh, didn't they work in NASL or USL? You know, what, what, what can I say on the air about them? So he's actually a great champion of lower division soccer in this country, too, which indicates the growing irrelevance in the minds of some Um or maybe the audience uh, asked to it because he would be one of the first guys to mention it, quite frankly. Yeah, and I don't want to beat up, beat up on uh, Morning Footy too much. Uh, it's easy to do because there's definitely some issues with the show uh, that are preventing it from being better than what it is. And 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 it's they're trying for sure, and it's still early days, um, and it's hit and miss. And depending on who you, the listener. Um, you mean the the leagues and teams and countries and uh, what what you're interested in? You might find it maybe more of a fit for you than than others. However, I think it's a general issue though, Kartik, in terms of uh, U.S. Uh, lower league soccer uh, in terms of awareness. How to how do you get break through that clutter and have whether it's um, even the Glasser Show talking about U.S. Uh, lower league soccer or ESPN FC or, or Fox or, or these other programs. And, and and to me, I mean, obviously, promotion relegation and not having a pyramid system, uh, I think, holds back lower league soccer for sure. But I mean, to me, the, the one thing that does break through is the U.S. Open Cup. And and you've seen, and, and I've seen too, in terms of the struggles this year with, with a lot of the games not being cover, uh, covered or streamed, only select games being shown. Uh, kind of just so far, it's been very inconsistent. So coming up, I think next week, I think it is, uh, Miami FC plays into Miami in a U.S. Open Cup game. It's just one of many games uh, that are happening in U.S. Open Cup. Some really interesting, some really spicy uh, games ahead. However, as of right now, that game's not going to be streamed anywhere. So it's not going to be streamed on uh, Bleacher Report or YouTube, even though U.S. Soccer and Warner Brothers Discovery have the rights to that game. And that's just one example. There's other games, too. So... So, Carter, again, back back to you. How how do you make U.S. lower league soccer relevant or more relevant or more popular or have people talking about it or thinking about it in the United States when the current system seems to ignore it? Yeah, the current system is uh, is a big part of the problem. I think a lot of the media is very lazy also and, and just covers MLS. Um I have to say, though, um, and, and I'll a couple observations here because I've actually been in the position of being a press officer both for teams and for leagues at the lower division level. I have to say, though, I think that local relevance comes first. Being important in your local market is the most important thing. And clubs that have focused on their local media, their local market, their um, selling tickets, which is the most important thing at the lower division level. It's more important than getting media or putting out nice videos and stuff like that. Um, it, those clubs are in business and they're successful, even within the closed system. The clubs that have thought they're, they're, they're some sort of big, uh, big entity, that they're going to have this international following, um, unfortunately, you have to secure your local base first before you get the international following. Wrexham has a local base that they're building on, which helps sell their story. Um, 
one of the things as a press officer that I felt always worked uh, in terms of creating relevance was having players that had um, moved on to MLS or to European or, or to Europe that you could sell to media. You could sell the stories that, Hey, we developed such and such a guy and this person ended up playing for uh, the Jamaican national team or what have you. That's an important part of what USL and NISA clubs and, and quite frankly, NPSL clubs have to do. Uh, it's worked to a certain extent. I mean, uh, football Americas in particular, uh, uh, seven Herc, they cover this stuff pretty extensively, right? they they, they do a lot on USL. Uh, they do a fair amount on, on the lower divisions in general. But I think that there's been a vacuum in terms of national media. I mean, the thing that happened when I was at the NASL is we cultivated a great national media base. We had people that um, covered our league that were maybe a local beat reporter in North Carolina or in Indianapolis. Uh, well, Napoon, a former co-host of this show, right? He, he uh, is based in Indianapolis. He covered the league as a whole uh, because uh, we had built context and interest in NASL as a national or, or kind of, because we had teams in hand also as a North American entity. I don't want to beat up on USL too much, but I don't think they've done that. I don't think they've done a good job of cultivating a national media following that will follow the league and report critically about the league, but also promote the league. I think USL has been too concerned about um, potential criticisms, and they've basically turned their own staff into the news bureau that covers the league, and therefore there's no incentive for national media to cover them. And I've heard this, this is not just a personal observation, Chris, I've heard this from uh, media that had covered NASL and would, you know, kind of spar with me and interact in, in, in sometimes a hostile fashion with me at NASL, who now are saying, our teams are now in USL. Um, we're now forced to cover USL. God, we didn't know how good we had it when the NASL was around because there was a national media uh, landscape. There was you know, reporters in North Carolina could talk to a guy in Edmonton, talk to a guy in Indy, uh, talk to a guy in Tampa or Fort Lauderdale. They all knew each other. In USL, it's like these different silos. Um, so I think that's a big part of the problem, too. The leagues really have to push it. So same with Nisa. I'm picking on USL, but same with Nisa. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, the Seven Hook show, the Football Americas, which is definitely a good shout out. I'd also give a shout out to you, Kartik, uh, with your Substack, and, and you've got a podcast coming up that's going to be talking about lower league soccer um, and kind of kind of diving into through the newsletter also as far as those local league uh, or lower league stories. However, I I would argue. I mean, so first of all, I would say also that uh, yes, it is most important for these. Um, uh, lower league teams to sell tickets on a local level. However, I would argue, though, that local media, for the most part, is dying. You look at local newspapers, right? Who who reads newspapers anymore? You look at lo- local news, like TV news, and most of it, it's depressing. It's it's crime, shootings. Um, very. If there is sports, it, it's usually, I mean, local high school sports or uh, local NFL team type of thing. Uh, you look at uh, SB Nation, and the death of all of those local uh, blogs, right, about, uh, for the most part, about MLS teams or the sm- uh, uh, teams throughout the United States. So I, th- I think because of streaming, we are now on, on, a, on a national perspective. So when I look at ESPN Plus on a Saturday night and I go, you know, what? I'm going to watch, uh, I'm going to tune in and watch one of these games from a national perspective, um, watching two teams play, and I see a stadium that's almost entirely empty, and I see a level of football that is pretty inadequate. Inad- um, to me, that that those are the kind of the the lens I I, I use to look out. I, you know, I might tune into MLS season pass on a Saturday night, or I might uh, turn over to Liga Mekis and, and looking at different leagues. Um, so I I think to me personally, the the national part needs to be played up and so yes there's a local team that has a local story so so why should we care about uh, new mexico united well as we saw on twitter we had a discussion about this uh, earlier today 
um, there are national stories, or, uh, stories of national relevance. So whether it's uh, Sunderland, uh, from Sunderland till I die fame, coming to the United States this summer and uh, playing friendlies against uh, San Antonio and, and New Mexico. And as I found out today, North Carolina, North Carolina FC, which I had no idea that they were even going to play, be playing a game. Um, I think I think they do need to reach out to the national side and think think nationally or even internationally, as we've seen with Wrexham, because I, I'm concerned about lower league soccer that the teams, yes, they don't have a lot of resources, but are not making much of an effort, it seems, or the leagues are not making much of an effort to try to change things. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I think you're in a position also where uh, the league is the, the leagues itself aren't doing a great job of, of storytelling around these clubs and their struggles. Uh, Detroit is an exception, right? Because, you know, whenever I say what you've just said to people, Chris, uh, people come back at me and say, oh, well, what about Detroit City? What about Chattanooga? And I used, to say, I used to say the same thing. I used to hold those two clubs on a pedestal. Well, they're still on a pedestal, but they are exceptions, right? They're not uh, the rule. Detroit City and, uh, and Chattanooga FC, they have not been emulated uh, widely. I mean, Oakland has been good, right? There are a few. New Mexico, you mentioned. But um, there's not enough context and storytelling for why someone in the national media would be interested in, um, in, in a lower division club. And in fact, I think we're at a point where the only two lower division clubs a lot of people in the media know are the two I mentioned. They know Chattanooga, they know Detroit, and they're, they may know names of other clubs, but they're like, oh, is that club still in business? Oh, is that club still a thing? And they may or may not be in business, right? So that's, that's another thing. And then to, the, to, to another point you mentioned, um, yeah, I think... And I got beat up on this Saturday night on Twitter for saying that I think the level of play in USL has dropped this year. Although I will uh, concede the level of play in NISA is much higher this season than it was last season, at least based on the first three weeks of the season. Um, but there is, I think, an insularity. And we see this with MLS also, right? We talk about this a lot with MLS. Maybe we don't talk about it with lower division soccer that much. There is an insularity with fans of USL and lower division leagues, kind of an insecurity slash insularity where they get very defensive when you make critiques. So I made the critique that I think losing MLS reserve teams and losing a lot of the young players has affected the quality of play and affected the attractiveness of play. And... I, I stand by that because I think what's happened is, and, and then people said, well, look, the Galaxy 2 and the Atlanta 2, these clubs, they, they all finish near the bottom of the table. That wasn't my point. My point is you had younger players who were more energetic, who, who were oftentimes were, were auditioning uh, trying to, or, and developing. So it creates different styles of play. It def- creates different contexts around matches. And I also think the other thing that's important to understand is from someone as someone who worked in lower division soccer for a decade, I can tell you the most important thing in order to creating create context and relevance is to have some sort of ambiance around the games, to have some sort of uh, relevance around the matches. It, winning and losing is secondary, honestly. Fans have to have a good time. You have to be able to turn on that stream on ESPN Plus and feel like fans are engaged in having a good time, whether the, the match is itself is good or not. Although if the match is bad, that, that causes more problems. Um, and I think the play being kind of slower and USL being a league uh, that... Um, the average age now, I think, has, has creeped up, uh, 26, 27, that sort of thing, does impact um, all of those external factors that would drive interest. So when you turn on a game on Saturday night on ESPN Plus and you see a very slow, laborious match uh, with nobody in the stands, that's, uh, that's a major turnoff. It's not just, uh, again, about the results. I, I, there are teams that uh, I actually did a... a, a, a um, a study of this at one point years ago, so I would have to update it, but there was at one point no correlation at all at the lower division level between winning and attendance. It really mattered what 
whether you had a food truck rally uh, at, at a match or some sort of event around the match that got local fans interested and excited and brought energy into the ground, uh, which, quite frankly, that's a lot of uh, lower divisions in, in, in Europe, too, honestly. It's all about kind of local relevance and, and, and the atmosphere. Yeah, it's uh, so you got beat up on Saturday night about uh, talking about the the level has dropped off in in USL, and I I, I tweeted out. I think uh, I didn't see your tweet, uh, so that's the first time I'm hearing of it. But I tweeted out I think on Saturday night saying that I think the the level on, on, in MLS has dropped, um, partly because you I mean you have so many teams, and and maybe the issue with USL too is that uh, with USL NPSL. Um, Nisa, Major League Soccer, of course, too. Maybe you have too many teams. And, yep, and yep. When you look at when you look at both USL and MLS, their number one priorities for both of those leagues is expansion, and and they're they're in an arms race, right? Both of those leagues are trying to outdo each other, get into the markets as soon as possible, find investors, uh, do real estate deals. Uh, you mean and build stadiums and get get that money in 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 and to the detriment i would argue of the quality level of soccer because we now we have i mean you look at europe right could you imagine the bundesliga uh saying or the dfb saying or the dfl saying okay um for the bundesliga you can have as many teams as you want you can just keep on expanding so instead of 18 if you want to go to 29 if you want to go 30 uh, and we'll split it into two different groups and, and, and have, you I mean, that would never, never, if anything, never happen. Leagues are doing the opposite. France is going to cut to 18 teams, right? Uh, in, in their top flight, because uh, there, there is uh, a scheduling issue and there's also a quality of play issue. So I, Chris, I think you may have nailed it. The reason is over expansion. You can't keep up with quality of player as quickly as uh, these leagues are expanding. How many more pro clubs? I, when I, uh, started at NASL, we were able to advertise that um, that we were our clubs were uh, among the 26 professional clubs, uh, or I think it was 32. Sorry, 32 professional clubs in the three divisions of American soccer at the time, uh, 32 or 34, something like that. In fact. <laughs> Now, uh, you know, whole leagues have 30 teams, right? And, uh, and, and you have multiple third divisions and you don't, it, it's not just, uh, the players, the, the, the level of coaching and level of officiating is not keeping up with all this expansion either, quite honestly. And you mentioned NPSL. You have more NPSL teams in, in those days that I'm talking about. NPSL was a purely amateur league. Now, NPSL is what we call adult amateur, which means there are some professional teams in the league, right? Mixed with, you you know, you're either entirely professional or you're entirely amateur. There's, there's certain rules where you can mix, but it's, it's kind of complicated, but you actually have more professional teams, even sitting outside the three sanctioned uh, tiers of, 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 by the USSF than, uh, than just those teams. So you might, I can't do the math in my head, but you probably have twice or, or more than twice as many professional teams as you did 10 years ago. Before this season started for, for Major League Soccer for this uh, 2023 season, I received a card in the mail. And the card was kind of just promoting you know, MLS season pass and talking about uh, the launch uh, in late February of the 2023 season. On that card, I had a bullet point that said, uh, Major League Soccer is the uh, fastest growing league, soccer league in the world. And to me, that's not something to be to to get enthusiastic about. Yeah, yes, it's good that there's new soccer stadiums being built, um, but to me, I'd almost like rather see even MLS is the slowest uh, expanding uh, league in the world because because then then you're putting down roots, you're you're not over expanding, you're not in the arms race. To me, like saying like, hey, you're the fastest growing soccer league in the world. Well, who's the competition, right? Who, which other league in the world is is trying to say the same thing? Probably is USL. USL is probably saying like, "Hey, we're the second fastest." Uh, uh, yeah, no, that's their league that's in the their, world. 
That's why I think they're jaded in their impression because they keep talking about themselves being, this is their own uh, PR. We are uh, one of the most successful league systems in the world, and they're always touting the number of clubs they have and the number of new clubs they have. And they don't account for all the USL clubs that have folded, which is quite quite a number, quite a large number. So it's the same thing, right? And the, they're effectively competing with one another, right? The rest of the world, they're not doing this. Maybe the leagues in Australia and India, which are also developing, although I think those leagues are a little slower growth, right? So they're, they're effectively just competing with one another, USL and MLS, in this, quote, global competition. Yeah, and so people receiving, which is mostly probably media, people receiving that card and seeing that bullet point, point about the fastest growing le- soccer league in the world, I, I don't think anyone's jumping for joy with that. Yes, it's good to see the growth. It's good to see the, the game growing. Um, but that's not something to kind of hold your hat on I mean, and say, hey, this is, this is why we're different. Um, other than that, Kartik, in terms of, I, I think really, I mean, I mean, this just really shows the lack of leadership from U.S. soccer. U.S. soccer needs to step in and needs to figure out a system that's going to work for the sport in this country, not just for MLS, but basically sit down and say, okay, you mean for the future, for future generations, how do we build and, and, and kind of organize a system that's going to work from the grassroots all the way to the top? And is that a pie-in-the-sky dream that's never going to happen? You mean, if if the Federation wanted to, um, with MLS having its hooks in the entire system and being on you mean, different boards of directors and being so entrenched within U.S. soccer, is this something that could ever mm-hmm. happen? No, because it's gone the other direction. So we had a USSF Development Academy built out, right, nationally. I mean, initially it started in certain regions, uh, uh, California, Texas, South Florida, New Jersey, right, the, the um, Chicago area, and built out nationally. That's now been sunset, and an MLS has filled the void. We had, uh, I worked, uh, actually one of the years I worked at NASL, that first year I'm talking about where I'm counting the number of teams, uh, I'm actually, uh, uh, was actually, a league administered by the U.S. Soccer Federation, right? They took an active interest in saying, uh, Sunil Gulati, for all my criticisms of him, and they're numerous, I, I don't want uh, listeners to think now that I'm, I'm completely into revisionism about Gulati since I, I used to hammer him when he was the uh, president. But you see things a little more clearly with hindsight, especially when you see what comes after the person you've criticized. Gulati understood you couldn't have the lower divisions collapse. He understood that would be a colossal failure uh, at and uh, set U.S. soccer back 10 or 15 years. So he stepped in for a season and said, okay, we are going to manage the league. We are going to manage Division Two." So there was USSF Division Two uh, uh, for the Division Two Professional League, I think it was called, for a season. You remember it, Chris. I mean, I, yeah. I think you, you attended some games that season. And we uh, were able to work with U.S. soccer to create new standards that they would then constantly monitor. They actually facilitated this uh, this effort to prevent teams from going out of business. Now, since uh, Sunil Gulati and Dan Flynn, I would say he was the other really influential figure, left, it's the Wild West, right? I mean, U.S. soccer is... is a small, uh, There were three different... Um, so it's actually probably triple the number of teams as of uh, uh, the year I mentioned, 13 years ago now, because there were actually three different sanctioned third divisions. Now, three, divi- three different sanctioned third division professional leagues. For those of you who don't follow lower division American soccer, that might shock you. So there were three leagues that are the equivalent of League One in England in this league, all independent from one another with no interconnectivity. Maybe the teams will play in U.S. Open Cup. That's it. Uh, face each other in U.S. Open Cup, competing with one another. And all three of them are national leagues. I mean, how is this a, a sustainable, salvageable model? And the way U.S. soccer views it is, okay, these leagues will compete with one another. Probably two of them will go out of business and the third league that's standing well that will be the de facto league and it, it all of this benefits mls because what you've done is you've de decentralized de- de- and fractured the market to the point where the strongest actor who also has all this influence on the boards as you've mentioned uh can kind of sweep up so what we see is one of those division three t- leagues is administered by mls that likely will be the surviving league uh, unless things change. And then you have a second division, which is USL, which maybe they'll crush. And eventually MLS will move into that space. And U.S. soccer will then say, hey, look, you know, everything's consolidated. Youth, youth uh, uh, path uh, all the way to, to, to the top flight. But that's uh, that, that would 
involve crushing all sorts of different other entities and clubs and youth systems, etc. And that's not ultimately good for player development or sustainability in the game. Okay, Kartik, let's move on to listener mailbag. Some really, really good insight there from you about uh, lower league uh, soccer. And I really think that U.S. soccer needs to step up, even if it is right now, feels like pie in the sky. There, there is an opportunity there to to enact change and, and, and try to figure out a way to make this work for everyone. Because right now, uh, in my opinion, it, it's not working. It's, it's not a, uh, a system that's built for the future. Uh, first up is Matt. Matt wants to talk to us about MLS Season Pass, among other things. Matt says, uh, glad to see the pod is back up and running. I wanted to get a couple of thoughts from the last pod. Not that I watch MLS, as I don't have a, a team here to root for, so I tend to watch more USL as a result. But I had no idea that MLS 360 was included with Apple TV Plus subscriptions. I'm glad MLS's coverage has improved as a whole, but very worrisome numbers uh, if those reported are true. I'm not really sure what MLS can or should uh, do going forward. Maybe they just have to find new ways to attract demographics through other forms of content delivery besides streaming on Apple TV. A while back, I mentioned MLS's YouTube highlights be, uh, being worryingly low uh, in terms of the number of views, and that's still the case. I, I then look at the Premier League highlights on YouTube and see how many views uh, they get on YouTube. Second, I know you guys aren't huge fans of the current state of CBS's uh, Champions League coverage. It's very interesting to see uh, how much the online discourse seems to disagree. I believe a lot of people, especially in the UK, do not care for BT Sports' coverage compared to how much more carefree, relaxed and fun CBS's coverage of the UEFA Champions League is. This was just something I wanted to highlight. I believe you guys are onto something when CBS is looking for viewing and clicks um, when they do their television coverage. So some good points there, Kartik, from Matt. Um, yeah, MLS season. Well, th- th- let's let's go on because we've got some more MLS season pass uh, feedback too. So we'll, we'll kind of uh, we'll share the feedback from you, the listeners, and then we'll talk about it uh, as a whole. Mercator says on the on the MLS 360 show, it's only available to Apple TV Plus subscribers. It's behind a paywall, the same sort of paywall Peacock and Paramount have for Gold Rush and Golasso. It's not even the pay, paywall that gets me. It's that MLS 360 is just not watchable or worth watching when it has commercials. I get this probably will not change because Apple has their new ad platform, etc., but with all the games on at the same time and a commercial-filled whip-around show, I basically watch my team and I go to uh, games uh, so often not watching on TV anyway. Fred Shu says uh, there's different phases to this. The first phase was actually getting season, MLS Season Pass to work on day one and tr- to try to convince people to sign up, uh, which apparently underachieved from all the rumors. Second phase, I believe, is to get uh, people to watch the free matches on Apple TV. Uh, I've seen I've seen zero promotion on this. Then you might be able to convert people to subscribers mid-season with a discounted six-month uh, subscription rate, or get them to subscribe in 2024. In general, the Apple TV service has been a bit vague. What is the purpose? Why would I use it over Amazon Fire, Chromecast, or my uh, smart TVs features like Samsung? or LG. And then one more I'll read before we kind of talk about it for a little bit is uh, David uh, Prezibalinski says, uh, putting MLS on a paid subscription is only going to decrease viewership and a terrible investment for Apple. Now, this past weekend, Kartik, on Twitter, we asked the question, uh, how has MLS Season Pass changed the, the coverage how much how much MLS you're watching this season compared to previous seasons, last season, for example. And I believe it was, I think, about roughly about, I think, 50% of the people said they're watching less MLS than last year. Um, and I believe it was about 30% saying they're, they're watching more MLS uh, this year. So still subtracting those numbers, it's still a 20% decrease based on, on that, uh, the people that, that responded to that survey. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Overall, are you optimistic or pessimistic about... MLS season passes uh, and, and Apple's decision to partner uh, with this for the streaming uh, service. I'm pessimistic, although there was an industry insider I talked to, uh, I think exactly at this time last week, uh, as we're recording this uh, early afternoon Monday, uh, that told me that they believe for Apple, the goal has been to sell ha- new hardware. Uh, to someone like you who's an Android user, right? So basically, the numbers may not be good, but if people don't know the workarounds, which uh, World Soccer Talk in particular has been really the only people explaining this uh, properly, right, to the fans, how you can work around if you have an Android device or a Windows PC or a Chrome Chromebook uh, to work around uh, the, the, the issue uh, using your browser, um, that... Maybe Apple will be happy in the long run, this person told me, because they will sell more hardware because there are MLS fans who feel locked out currently and think they need to buy an Apple device. Or even if they have figured out the workaround, think it'll be easier if they have Apple, an Apple device with Apple TV+. Plus. So I'm not optimistic based on what's happened. I'm not optimistic based on what I've heard. But that one insider gave me some pause to kind of uh, maybe uh, think about this again, because if that is actually the goal for Apple, maybe this will work. Maybe it's not about uh, uh, subscription numbers to, uh, to MLS season pass and MLS uh, 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 to and to Apple TV plus on the front end. Maybe it's about selling devices and hardware, which, of course, is a core part of Apple's business uh, over the long run. Yeah, it'll be interesting, too, because like with MLS, uh, any time that they were interviewed about the uh, the rights fee, how much Apple is paying to uh, MLS, so $250 million a year uh, for the rights to stream every single game, MLS was always quick to mention, but there's we, we have kind of a system, uh, in, an incentive based on some metrics, whatever those metrics are, we can actually be able to generate more than that $250 million a year. I would imagine it would be based on subscriptions and not hardware. So Apple, you mean, Apple's probably looking at this going like, hey, you mean, if they can measure it. Um, but even anecdotally, I'm sure there's there's going to be a lot more uh, iPhones or iPads or Apple TV devices, the actual hockey puck streaming uh, box um, sold because people are like, you know what, I'm, I'm sick of not being able to watch games uh, on an Android phone on an app i have to go to the, the browser and then log in and i can't change the settings and i am not able to go in the browser i'm not able to go ahead and hide the scores and i mean just all these hoops and hurdles to jump through it is so much easier just to go ahead and actually buy you mean a new device same thing too actually with um mls season pass is that um in order to get it working on your device you have to have the latest version of the ios um operating system to be able to watch it so you have if you have an old ipad from maybe say i don't know three or four years ago and you try watching the uh, mls season pass on, on apple tv app 
it's not going to work. It's going to say, hey, you need to update to the latest version. You try to update the latest version. It says, okay, nope, your device is uh, an old device. You need to go ahead and get uh, upgrade to to a new iPad. So yeah, definitely, Kartik. I, I think um, that is something that uh, they will sell more devices. Um, but subscriptions, I'm not so sure. I mean, that's that's the key issue. We saw Saturday night that the MLS season pass was down for about two hours on a Saturday night. Most of us, unless we figured out the workarounds, um, missed the first half of the Seattle against Portland game. So you know, basically one of the biggest games of the weekend, we missed it. Um, and there's other games too happening. Actually, I think one other game happening, we, we missed that too, the first half of that. But that that's an issue. And that, and that wasn't just MLS season pass. That was an Apple issue overall. Hopefully those tech issues get resolved. I think every single streaming service we've we've ha- had or used has had technical problems. Um, although if it's Apple, that, that is pretty embarrassing on a Saturday night. Um, so I think t- to me, I'm, I'm still optimistic that apple is improving things on the tech side um this past weekend they launched a beta version of multiview which is the uh which is similar to multicast on espn plus and then multiview on fubo where you can watch up to four games at once so that happened a lot quicker than i thought it would so i'm optimistic on the tech i think i'm optimistic on the experience and being able to watch the games I'm pessimistic on the quality level of MLS. I think there is that overexpansion. And watching this past past Saturday night, it was pretty boring <laughs> up until the Portland game. Um, and then Sunday's game, the El Trafico, that was exciting. That was great to watch. Um, but those are two games out of, what, 14 over a weekend, roughly speaking. So um, quality is a concern. So we shall see. We shall see how this goes because um, MLS, I still I still think needs to sign a major player. They need to sign a Zlatan, if you know whoever the Zlatan is, uh, in his height to really spark interest. All right, we've got some more feedback here, Kartik, from uh, some of our listeners about MLS season pass. And let me see if I can find it again. I've lost it. Um, If you want to go ahead and read it. Yeah, yeah. The next one. uh, Yeah, Dave says, I am not sure uh, who the target audience is for $15 a month for MLS uh, Pass. The biggest fans are often season ticket holders who get the product for free, uh, which we have to always remember, obviously. The T-Mobile deal presumably brings in a lot of subscribers at a very low bulk rate. For $15 a month, a family can get the Disney bundle with no ads. You can get tons of sports, not just on Saturday evenings, but also scripted shows and movies. Seems like much better value for money given interest in many households. And then Gene Anthony says, because again, so many uh, of you have written in about MLS season pass. I think changes have to be made to ML- to the MLS season. And I really like the idea of what Liga Amekis does. Spring season from February to early July, League Cup, and then September to December would work for MLS. This would make it appointment viewing for fans for every game. And every game becomes much more meaningful. And uh, uh, Chris, as I said, we did that with uh, NASL. Uh, let me read one more comment before we get some feedback uh, as this is also about MLS season pass. I've been uh, this is from Greg. I've long been of the opinion that MLS is not as much a national league as it is a local league. So focusing on building a local fan base through ticket sales and community connection is more important than trying to force a national profile, which is why it's a shame that the Apple deal takes away easily accessible local broadcasts and forces people who don't have Apple TV plus to subscribe to that service just for free matches, much less having to fork over $15 for the full package. A team specific pass for less money would help a bit. But Chris is correct in saying that the league needs marquee signings. And to be honest, it needs its own version of the EPL Big Six or in American sports terms, teams like the Yankees, Cowboys, Lakers, etc. Big teams with big players that pull in viewers that other fans, that other teams fans love to hate, etc. Part of the problem is the bloated size of the league. So it's hard to sort out compelling stories with so many teams, so many matches, so many players, plus the meaningless regular season 
thanks to the bloated playoffs. Um, so, Chris, I think Greg is uh, – <laughs> he could be a member of this podcast, right? <laughs> That's effectively um, – he, he, he's saying very similar things to what you and I say, not just on this podcast, but privately to one another. Yeah, which, which brings me back to my point earlier, talking about USL, where I was saying that uh, kind of local newspapers are effectively dead, or many of them are. Local television news is uh, pretty much, I mean, who watches that type of thing? But the other part of it, too, is like uh, regional sports networks, uh, for the most part, are, are dying, right? MLS got rid of all that, and they moved on to this national footprint, um, or global footprint, really. So I think in terms of media, media is changing. So I think the leagues need to kind of catch up with that. So USL is one example. Um, but it, but same thing too for even lower league teams or even a championship or league one or league two teams, lo- lower, I mean, kind of second division, third, fourth division teams need to kind of catch up to that where there's a lot more people watching games on an on an international basis. I mean, Wrexham is, is an extreme, right? But you've got a lot of Americans every weekend are, are streaming Wrexham games, watching Wrexham games. And they may not know who their local team is. They may, you mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that don't even realize that they have a local team. Yeah. That maybe an NPSL team or NISA team or a, or a USL team. They may not even know that they even exist. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And um, I agree that they have to create local. I mean, I'm big on that because I've worked in lower divisions in particular, local connections and build the local fan base first. But your point about TV news is very well taken. And it's not something that's just recent. I can go back to even the 2016 season with Fort Lauderdale when I was the media director. And every single match we played, uh, our local stations, uh, Channel 4, Channel 6 and Channel 10, Channel 7 less so. But 4, 6, and 10, which are the CBS, NBC, and ABC stations locally, they wanted our highlights, and they would run them. It did nothing, absolutely nothing to build attendance. It did absolutely nothing to build uh, local buzz. So um, you have to do something more than that, right? You can't rely on the local broadcasters or the local media as local media is dying. And I think, quite frankly, no one was watching the local news at 1130 uh, or 11 o'clock on a Saturday night when they would air our highlights. That was part of it. So, uh, yeah, you, ha- you have to think a little broader. The world has changed and, and, and streaming is now it. Well, which, which is another reason why I'm optimistic about the MLS season pass deal is that they have shown that this can this can work, and this there's a way to put for a league to to come together with one single entity, one one single tech giant, and broadcast and stream every single game globally. You mean so so other leagues are probably looking at this, thinking, okay, um, I mean, I mean, let, let me backtrack for a sec- second here too. If the Premier League was on MLS, if the Premier League was on Apple TV, um, I'm sure subscriptions would be through the roof. And I think that the reason that MLS season pass is having some growing pains in terms of maybe number number of subscriptions not meeting their expectations is not because of MLS season pass, but it's more so because of, of MLS the league. It's not the most popular league in this country. Um, so you mean the Premier League and Liga MX are far, you mean, in terms of number of viewers and number of fans ahead of where MLS is. So there's a little bit of reality here in terms of where MLS now feels they're at based on the number of people that are subscribing specifically to watch their league. While in the past before, they probably thought, okay, well, people are watching through ESPN or Fox or or Univision. That's great. Um, Yes, there's Nielsen ratings to kind of give us an idea of how many people are watching. But now they know after, what, six or seven weeks of the season, they know that's that's their base. And they know what that number is. Apple knows what that number is. That is the base. That's how many fans they really have watching their teams or or the league as a whole right now. So it, it is kind of a, a come to Jesus moment, and I think. But but in terms of the technology, uh, they've been able to make it work effectively, um, and they've done a great job in terms of the programming and shows. And yes, it's not perfect, but they can make it work. So so I think that's uh, going back to our initial discussion in the beginning in terms of local. You mean local is dead in some ways, 
you mean other than people going to those games locally, buying tickets, and in the stadium. But outside of that, everything is really on, not even on a national basis, but it's becoming an international basis. And it's a it's a very early days still, but Miami FC is on TV locally in this market. Which, by the way, when I work with Fort Lauderdale, we were on local TV most of our run. Like the first two years, we weren't, but after that, we had a local over the air deal uh, with Fort Lauderdale, and it never really helped us. Miami FC this year has taken over the deal that Inter Miami no longer has because they're. They're forced on Apple. Uh, so the local uh, CBS affiliate, uh, e- uh, CBS Miami, or they're actually not an affiliate. They're owned directly by CBS or Viacom, uh, or Paramount, as they're now called. Excuse me. Um, they've run through corporate names, uh, the entity that owns CBS. But they're, owned, uh, they're centrally owned, the uh, Miami station. And um, it has done nothing to stimulate attendance, nothing whatsoever, being on local television. Now, again, we're only a month and a half into the season. Maybe in October I'll be saying something different. But this goes back to your point that uh, you have to think broader and streaming uh, is, uh, is, is, is the play. And I don't think for Inter-Miami, again, it's early days, I don't think not being on CBS Miami and now being on Apple TV Plus has hurt them at all. Uh, maybe it hasn't helped them, but it hasn't hurt them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we have some more feedback, too. This is from DH. DH says, I feel that the topic of cost is glossed over in this podcast. $15 a month for MLS season pass for no blackouts is great. But how can one justify it when the Premier League, Champions League or Serie A, La Liga and Bundesliga hover around the $5 a, a mark uh, price point with a substantially better product on the field? To me, MLS season pass is way overpriced and will hold back casual fans or fans of a single team, in my honest opinion. And I I think that's right in terms of the pricing. Um, However, if MLS season, if if Premier League pass on Apple TV was a thing and it was $99 a year and $15 a month, I'm, I, I guarantee that those numbers would be massive in terms of the number of people signing up. Yes, you would get people complaining about the price, but they would feel that the money that they're giving, they're getting back that in value of entertainment and drama and goals and everything that comes comes with it. Um, so, so yes, the price point with the competition is much, much cheaper. If you want to watch Peacock, uh, Paramount Plus and ESPN Plus, um, you can get it for twenty dollars a month versus, and get all those leagues, even thousands of games a month in terms of sports in total, compared to fifteen dollars a month um, for MLS and, and strictly MLS games and MLS. You mean uh, MLS Next and MLS Next Pro? All right. Next up is uh, EPL NFL. Lou. Uh, as to Apple TV, I have enjoyed it, and I believe in time sufficient people. It, uh, I believe in time sufficient people will subscribe. I think having the majority of games on Saturday night is fine. I especially enjoy the later starts from the West Coast teams. However, two matches during Saturday afternoon, a Friday night match, and two Sunday matches would make the schedule better. I would say El Trafico, I think, benefited big time from watch from having the pre-match. So I, I didn't watch the Fox broadcast. So I watched it on MLS Season Pass, and it was a good like well, I don't know, hour of pre-game, kind of the build-up, and Jake Seven, and Taylor Twellman, and in the, uh, Julian Sakovitz, and the whole crew building up, building up until kickoff. And that worked really well, because you had pre-match interviews, you had some, you had like a, a segment about... Uh, you mean uh, El Trafico is from the past. So for big occasions like that, I think that's that's great. But I think that um, if MLS wants to go ahead and start kind of, again, putting games on different days and different times, and I, I don't think that's fixing the problem. No, and actually, when the um, when there was that Friday night Univision match, Chris, uh, uh, the attendances notably dropped, very noticeably dropped in in most of the venues. Yeah. Um, it, it was great for the television deal, but it was really bad for local attendance. Right, it was fun to watch. I, I remember watching a lot of those games on Friday nights in in the, in the summer and enjoying the coverage. But um, but yeah, there's a reason that. Um, that didn't continue in terms of, uh, you mean the actual, I'm sure the viewing numbers weren't that great either. 
Uh, JP, JP's the last one here on the MLS. Actually, no, we have two more. <laughs> Everyone wants to talk about MLS season pass. JP says the MLS re- regular season largely being meaningless is, is not unique to MLS. Almost all American professional sports have too many teams qualify for the playoffs. What MLS could do uh, is to still have playoffs but make the season more relevant. Um, they could adopt the Belgian Pro League and others format where the top four qualify for a playoff and they play everyone twice. Regular season points total cutting half and then the points from the six playoff matches added. Top team in the regular season has an advantage and it could almost uh, be, be almost insurmountable if dominant enough during the season. Regular season would matter, matter much more than whomever comes out on top in the East and West could have their MLS match as usual. Kartik, I, I think to me this is, this is more this is more confusing. Yeah, but at least it would make the regular season more relevant, I guess. Um, it, it is confusing, though, right? I, 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 these playoff formats, I just don't understand them. I, you know, I didn't even know this because I don't follow the NBA at all. And I learned uh, on Friday the NBA now has a play-in tournament to their playoffs. I mean, it's crazy. So they've actually created like a second playoff to enter. I mean, I, I'm laughing, but a second playoff to enter the main playoffs. And the only reason I found out about this was because I, because as, he, as we've mentioned, my dad's health. I went to my father's house and he was watching the Heat game, and I asked him, "Oh, is this?" Because uh, I know, like the NBA, I do know the timing. I'm like, "Oh, the NBA regular season ends in the middle of April." I'm like, "Oh, is this the playoffs or the regular season?" And he had to explain to me it wasn't either. It was part of this tournament that they had. So, I mean, there are all these layers they add to American sports. It's it's really confusing. I, I don't understand it at all, honestly. Yeah, don't, NBA, don't give uh, MLS uh, any new ideas in terms of that. I'm sure that they're probably thinking about it, thinking maybe next year we'll have something like that that will make the regular season more meaningful by having a play-in tournament to try to get into the playoffs, which is... Yeah. All right. Uh, Two more to go. Uh, Chris Guardino says, I am in total agreement with Chris's opinion from a few podcasts ago that Fox's MLS coverage is a joke, especially when compared to Apple TV. They seem to not care about producing a quality broadcast. In fact, this is true for every other sport Fox has the rights to, apart from the NFL and college football. I have been watching a few Major League Baseball games from them uh, recently due to baseball starting up. And there were some major issues with the broadcast, mainly having to do with audio uh, due to their announcers calling games from a monitor in L.A., similar to how they do it with MLS and and some World Cup games. I really hope that there is an opt-out clause in the deal MLS has made with Fox so that another broadcaster that truly cares about high production values can take over the linear TV side of things. And... Even if there was Chris, I'm not so sure that uh, there would be a, a taker. So, I mean, Fox has this deal through till 2026 on the TV side for MLS. But, I mean, even if M- MLS said, hey, Fox, this is not working out, we're going to go to a ne- uh, another linear partner, who would that be? I mean, I, I don't think anyone would step up to, to, to uh, actually do it. Last but not least, um, William wants to talk about the U.S. women's national team um, and the recent friendlies against uh, Ireland. Mallory Swanson is now lost to the U.S. women's national team for the World Cup. Was anyone closely watching the game from an injury uh, prevention perspective? Oh, yes. Firstly, we saw uh, Mannion run into Swanson, causing her to lose her balance and consequently impact the Ireland goalkeeper. Thankfully, Mallory was not seriously injured in that, although she was stunned and laid uh, on the pitch for for minutes. Secondly, we see um, Mannion foul Swanson and earn a yellow card. Thirdly, we see Mannion uh, viciously run into Swanson with clear intent uh, and produced a major injury. Somehow the referee did not even serve a red card for the attack. Post-game, there was no mention of the obviously intentional triple assault on our team's most skillful player. And how does the referee not not uh, uh, basically bring out a red card on the third assault? 
Then Mannion doesn't show up for the uh, for the game in the second friendly. I'm greatly saddened for our nation's best women uh, women's soccer player. So I commented after the the uh, point uh, with the, with the people I was watching the match with, uh, th- and this was by the way the first Ireland friendly, right? There were two two friendlies against Ireland. That when she was down for I think it was four or five minutes, that I would not put her back in the match. I had seen, and this is a friendly. Let's keep in mind this is not a qualifier. Both the United States and Ireland are in the Women's World Cup. I uh, felt like. Um, that the game was overly physical and and I I did not detect what William did uh, and I thank him for the comment that it was Mannion all three times but that it was obvious to me Swanson was being targeted right because she has been on uh, a streak uh, a hot streak both in uh, national team and NWSL uh, that I would just sit her out the rest of the match it was a friendly she had had her bell rung so to speak um, and had was out was down laying on the ground for about five minutes and then there were two more incidents and now she's probably out for the Women's World Cup, um, which is going to create a situation where the front line for the U.S. has to be shuffled. We saw um, a, a kind of a makeshift front line on Wednesday, in the, or was it Tuesday, whenever the, the, the next Ireland game was, and it didn't look quite as clean, right? It didn't, it, it, it didn't look good, and there's not... Um, this is similar, unfortunately, to the Charlie Davies injury, completely different circumstances, obviously, but Charlie Davies getting hurt before the 2010 World Cup on the men's side, and the U.S. never quite figured out how to, how, how to work around that, right? Bob Bradley tried four or five different guys, uh, and none of them really worked the same way. I'm fearful the same thing's going to happen here, um, but I appreciate the comment because I didn't, I, I didn't think about the referee's angle in this. I was so fixated on the fact that I don't think they should have put her back in the game. It was a friendly, and I think they should have subbed her out. But um, William is right. The referee lost control also, and I, one thing I've noticed, Chris, and I'm wondering from your perspective if you've noticed the same thing. The women's game has gotten, in some cases, excessively physical in the last five to seven years. I used to comment about how much more technical I thought the women's game was than the men's game. And the men's game had gotten into kind of this brutish territory. Um, Now I think it's kind of gone the other way, where where things are being called much more frequently in the men's game. uh, And and, uh, the women's game, uh, uh, there's more more brutal fouls not being called or, or not being carded. Yeah, I still think it's more of an American thing, though, too, because like when I'm watching, you mean, you watch so much Premier League or you watch so much uh, Bundesliga and almost like you get trained whenever you see a foul happening. You're like, okay, that's definitely a yellow card or maybe that's a red or maybe that. Yeah, that's just the referee's going to blow his whistle. And then I watch MLS or USL um, or US soccer in general. I mean, Central American soccer or just soccer from the northern North American hemisphere. And I see stuff happening on the field. I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's definitely a yellow. And the referee kind of blows his whistle and off he goes. It's just just a foul or, or a free kick. Um, so I, I mean, to me personally, maybe that's the reason why where you I mean it is a more physical game um, in North America. And partly partly that's because of the referees kind of letting it. Ha- happen that way they're not they're not blowing uh the whistle as much or not giving out the yellow cards so players know that they can push it and 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 try more and get 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 away with more because um there's less of co- a consequence that the than they would have in in other parts of the world yeah and and uh this started really with the 2017 nwsl final which was held in orlando if any of you remember right. that match between portland and north carolina that's yeah. when uh, that was like a rugby match. And I don't <laughs> think American women's soccer has quite reco- – I don't want to say recovered because we won a World Cup since then. But um, I think that that triggered this this era of like excessive physicality, uh, at least when it came to the U.S. and American players or players based in the U.S. Uh, in on the women's side. All right, listeners, thank you so much for all your feedback. We've gotten some really, really good uh, uh, input, uh, questions and opinions and uh, definitely got us uh, going in terms of uh, discussing all of these things. So if you want to talk to us about uh, lower league soccer in the United States uh, or MLS season pass or television coverage. We didn't even get to talking about Premier League data zone, uh, the kind of the test between uh, Arsenal and Liverpool on Peacock with some of the functionality that reminded me a lot of Football Manager, uh, and as well as uh, as well as FIFA. That was pretty exciting. 
Um, so let let us know if you want uh, if you want to have any of your comments read out on air. Uh, best way to reach us is through email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, there's also Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Facebook, you can leave us a message there, which is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can go to the website, worldsoccertalk.com, and click on podcast and then leave your comment in the latest uh, thread of the uh, latest episode. And then last but not least, if you want to, you can leave a voicemail. Uh, that number is 561-247-4625. Before we go, Kartik, uh, fill us in on, uh, speaking of lower league uh, uh, American soccer, where they can get some really good in- insight through Substack and uh, the upcoming uh, podcast. Yeah, so Beyond the 90, thank you, Chris. We're launching a Florida-specific lower division, lower league podcast. Uh, and uh, as uh, it's trial and error, right, uh, this this Substack I launched several months ago, uh, finding that uh, if you post something about the Bundesliga, no one reads it. Uh, no one opens it. If you, re- if you write something about the Premier League or uh, I do a lot of EFL, which I'm going to continue to do, eh, 150 people or so read it or Serie A. Uh, if you write something about local Florida, lower league stuff or just general lower league themes getting hundreds and hundreds of opens so uh kind of tweaking the uh the uh the the sub stack back towards that so in fact i think that that makes it even chris uh less overlap with what we do at wst right that's very gonna be more and more lower league uh specific including efl including uh the lower leagues in england um and uh, I think both entities will probably cover Wrexham because that's the big thing. But uh, other than that, I think that that's very lower league specific. And we, of course, are much more macro at, uh, at World Soccer Talk. But yeah, so beyond90.substack.com, uh, all of the Florida content is free. If you want to pay us for a subscription, you'll get the other stuff about uh, world football. But uh, all the stuff about Florida lower league uh, soccer will be free. And we're launching a podcast, uh, which will uh, debut this week uh, with a conversation with with, uh, Tallahassee Soccer Club's uh, president and founder, uh, they begin their NPSL season against the Jacksonville Armada next weekend. So uh, that conversation with Chris Petley this week, and then uh, we'll have, it's not going to necessarily be a weekly podcast, but it's going to be an as-needed podcast. Yeah, I think uh, in many ways, like uh, people don't realize how much they need lower league soccer until it happens to them. And and, and what I mean by that specifically is if you're a fan of uh, Nottingham Forest or Southampton or Leeds United or Everton uh, or, or one of uh, many other clubs uh, near the bottom of the Premier League, you don't realize how good you've got it in terms of having access to every single game. And then all, all of a sudden your, your team gets relegated. Your team gets moved down to the second tier. And then it's okay. How do I watch these games? Like, 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 like how much do I have to pay and so on and so forth as you go down the tiers uh, oftentimes it gets harder and harder and sometimes more expensive uh, to watch the games that you want to watch um, obviously ideally all of us go to our local club and go support local soccer but for many of us there is no local soccer team and, and, and that's the part too that uh, is the challenge I mean especially in the United States being such a large country is is there a way to go ahead and set up a system that's going to work that's going to give local teams an incentive a reason to to exist to move up the table to do a, a Wrexham or a Notts County or a, you mean a, a Woking FC or have an opportunity to move up the table or sometimes go down the table but a reason to exist and a reason for fans to believe and to watch and and that's the part that I think that US soccer really needs to get involved in um, and really really think about this because this this is going to impact the future of the, of the sport in this country Alright, Kartik, heading into another weekend of soccer from around the world from, from the, the bottom to the top what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football.